I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Numbers chapters 5 and 6. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In chapter 5, we learn about getting the unclean folks out of the camp. Verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, every one who has a discharge, and whoever becomes defiled by a corpse. You shall put out both male and female. You shall put them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camps in the midst of which I dwell. And the children of Israel did so, and put them outside the camp as the Lord spoke to Moses. So the children of Israel did. We saw back in Leviticus three categories of uncleanness that were given special attention there. The first was infectious skin diseases in Leviticus 13 and Leviticus 14. The second dealt with bodily discharges in Leviticus chapter 15. And then touching dead bodies was dealt with back in Leviticus chapter 11 and Leviticus chapter 21. It was the priest's job to keep the camp of Israel free of uncleanness. These four verses raise some questions which are not easily answered regarding the day-to-day practice of Israel. The two chapters, Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, there they make it very clear that lepers had a place outside the camp where they stayed until they were deemed to be clean. Furthermore, those touching dead bodies are clearly dealt with in Numbers chapter 19 verse 11 when it says, He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. Well, here we're told that during the period of their uncleanness, they're to stay outside the camp. Presumably, they had their own place separate from those with skin disorders, but it's the bodily discharge stipulation of these verses that's difficult to surmise exactly how they practiced it. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 10 through 14, we're told that bodily relief was only to take place outside the camp. If, due to a surprise occurrence during the night, the person was unable to make it outside the camp in time, that person was to remain outside the camp for the remainder of the day before he could be pronounced clean again. The context of that passage may be indicating this to be the practice for maybe battle encampments only. There is just not enough written to be certain what the common practice might have been. The most difficult of these to reconcile with the brief scripture provided here is regarding a woman's monthly cycle. We're told in Leviticus chapter 15 verse 19 that she shall be put apart seven days. Well, while we might get the impression from Leviticus chapter 15 that this separation might be isolation within the camp, Numbers chapter 5 verses 1 through 4 here would indicate that even the woman on her monthly cycle was to have a place outside the camp where she was to go for that week each month. Hmm. Away from the kids, no meal preparation, no cleaning, and so forth. Maybe that's not so bad. However, that does leave a lot of unanswered questions about family care that, well, they simply aren't addressed here in Scripture. So we're not sure what the common practice might have been. In Numbers chapter 5, verses 5 through 10, we see stipulations on making it right after you cheat or steal. Verse 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. 
when a man or woman commits any sin that men commit in unfaithfulness against the Lord, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess the sin which he has committed. He shall make restitution for his trespass in full, plus one-fifth of it, and give it to the one he has wronged. But if the man has no relative to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution for the wrong must go to the Lord for the priest, in addition to the ram of the atonement with which atonement is made for him. Every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring to the priest, shall be his. And every man's holy thing shall be his. Whatever any man gives, the priest shall be his. Well, here's the offering scenario that we saw back in Leviticus chapters 5 and 6. If you stole from or cheated a fellow Hebrew, you had to pay it back with a 20% penalty, and then you had to make the appropriate sacrifice to the priest. If the person defrauded had died in the interim, you paid the penalty to the near kinsman. So in chapter 5, beginning with verse 11 down through verse 31, we find the husband who thinks that his wife has committed adultery, what's to be done? Verse 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, If any man's wife goes astray and behaves unfaithfully toward him, and a man lies with her carnally, and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, and it is concealed that she has defiled herself, and there was no witness against her, nor was she caught. If the spirit of jealousy comes upon him, and he becomes jealous of his wife, who has defiled herself, or if the spirit of jealousy comes upon him, and he becomes jealous of his wife, although she has not defiled herself, then the man shall bring his wife to the priest. He shall bring the offering required for her, one-tenth of an ephah of barley meal. He shall pour no oil on it, and put no frankincense on it, because it is a grain offering of jealousy, an offering for remembering, for bringing iniquity to remembrance. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. The priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel and take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it into the water. Then the priest shall stand the woman before the Lord, uncover the woman's head, and put the offering for remembering in her hands, which is the grain offering of jealousy, and the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that brings a curse. And the priest shall put her under oath and say to the woman, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not gone astray to uncleanness while under your husband's authority, be free from this bitter water that brings a curse. But if you have gone astray while under your husband's authority, and if you have defiled yourself and some man other than your husband has lain with you, then the priest shall put the woman under the oath of the curse, and he shall say to the woman, The Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people, when the Lord makes your thigh rot and your belly swell. And may this water that causes the curse go into your stomach and make your belly swell and your thigh rot. Then the woman shall say, Amen, so be it. Then the priest shall write these curses in a book, and he shall scrape them off into the bitter water. And he shall make the woman drink the bitter water that brings a curse, and the water that brings the curse shall enter her to become bitter. Then the priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy from the woman's hand, shall wave the offering before the Lord, and bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the offering as its memorial portion, burn it on the altar, and afterward make the woman drink the water." When he has made her drink the water, then it shall be, if she has defiled herself and behaved unfaithfully toward her husband, 
that the water that brings a curse will enter her and become bitter, and her belly will swell, her thigh will rot, and the woman will become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, then she shall be free and may conceive children. This is the law of jealousy. When a wife, while under her husband's authority, goes astray and defiles herself, or when the spirit of jealousy comes upon a man and he becomes jealous of his wife, then he shall stand the woman before the Lord, and the priest shall execute all this law upon her. Then the man shall be free from iniquity, but that woman shall bear her guilt. Well, I guess the place to begin explaining this section is by quoting from the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, which says, You shall not commit adultery. But what if um, it were concluded definitely that someone had committed adultery? Well, Leviticus 20, verse 10 says, The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now, let me draw a conclusion here. If you're a woman who commits adultery, you're likely to lie about having done so. Am I right? Well, Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 through 31 here, has a test of integrity for you. Keep in mind an admission of guilt results in the deaths of two people, the man and the woman. A real incentive, by the way, to stick to your cover story. Marital infidelity by the woman was considered to be a grave offense because it threatened the purity of the lineage. In the Mosaic Law, adultery specifically speaks to sexual contact between a married woman and a man other than her husband. Since Israel at that time was polygamous, it was a polygamous society. Sexual contact between a married man and an unmarried woman was not categorized as adultery. When a husband becomes suspicious that his wife has committed adultery, as he experiences a spirit of jealousy, he takes his wife before the priest with an offering. When she admits nothing, then here are the steps the priest takes. First of all, the priest mixes tabernacle floor dust with holy water in verse 17. Then she sat before the Lord with her head uncovered, verse 18. A barley offering is placed in her hands, also in verse 18. The priest pronounces an oath, including a curse over her if she's guilty, in verses 19 to 22. The woman then agrees to the oath, in verse 22. Then the priest writes the oath, or the curse, with ink, and then dissolves it into the special water, verse 23. Then the woman drinks the water, verse 24. Then finally, the priest waves the offering from her hands and offers it upon the altar, in verse 25. If the woman's guilty, her belly will swell, her thigh will rot, according to verse 27. What does that mean? Well, some have suggested that she'll become pregnant and miscarry, never to be able to bear children again. However, the consequences of this trial by ordeal seem to me to be more immediate than that. Others have suggested such female maladies as a flooded uterus, a pelvic prolapse, or swollen then atrophied genitalia. Well, whatever the intermediate symptoms, the inability to bear children afterwards seems to be conclusive, as we see in verse 28. Now, if she's guiltless of her husband's suspicions, she remains healthy and unaffected by the ritual, and she's able to bear children. Now, it's been suggested that perhaps the spirit of jealousy was brought on by a suspicious pregnancy, one in which the husband suspected that he was not the father of the child. 
If that's the case, then the consequences of the water ordeal may be a little clearer to us in as much as we may be talking about a difficult pregnancy that ends in a miscarriage. However, that's, that's just speculation. In chapter 6, we move to a different subject, the sacred vow of the Nazarite. Chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice or eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean even for his father or his mother or his brother or his sister when they die because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation he shall be holy to the Lord. And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and make atonement for him because he sinned in regard to the corpse, and he shall sanctify his head that same day. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation, and bring a male lamb in its first year as a trespass offering, but the former days shall be lost, because his separation was defiled. Now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb in its first year without blemish, as a burnt offering." one ewe lamb in its first year without blemish as a sin offering, one ram without blemish as a peace offering, a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and their grain offering with their drink offerings. Then the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering, and he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord with the basket of unleavened bread, the priest shall also offer its grain offering and its drink offering. Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake from the basket, and one unleavened wafer, and put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated hair. And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. They are holy for the priest, together with the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite who vows to the Lord the offering for his separation. And besides that, whatever else his hand is able to provide, according to the vow which he takes, so he must do according to the law of his separation." The vow of the Nazarite involved consecrating oneself to God for a limited time period. They were treated as lay priests, having restrictions similar to priests. The vow imposed a number of restrictions to one's lifestyle, as in 
abstaining from fermented drinks and great products, abstaining from cutting one's hair, and abstaining from coming into contact with the dead. In this passage, we find the procedure for the ritual vow to becoming a Nazarite, a man or a woman, in verse 2 we see. You'll recall that Samson was a Nazarite from birth in Judges chapter 13. Furthermore, Paul seems to have made such a vow in Acts chapter 18, verse 18, and Acts chapter 21, verses 20 through 26. That's when he attempted to demonstrate to the Jews in Jerusalem that he himself was a law-abiding Jew. Typically, the Nazarite vow was to be for a specified period of time. There were three distinct characteristics of those who had taken the Nazarite vow. First of all, abstaining from wine and grape products in verses 3 and 4. Not touching dead bodies, even if it's mom or dad, in verses 6 through 8. And finally, not cutting one's hair in verse 5. We see that later in Israel's history, they sinned against God by giving Nazarites wine to drink. We see that in Amos chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. At the conclusion of the vow, a series of offerings we see in verses 13 through 20 were made to mark the end of the commitment and all the hair goes and it's burned, verse 18. (laughs) Yuck. Hair burning makes a nasty smell. This is the ceremony in which Paul participated in Acts chapter 21, verses 20 through 26. And finally, in today's reading, we find an official blessing in verses 22 through 27 of chapter 6. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. In this passage, God gives the priest a verbal blessing to issue upon the people of Israel. You may have heard preachers conclude their services with a modified version of this very blessing. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletribe.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walker.